Good morning, Heart Church Online. Hey, my name is Shane, and uh, I'm the pastor here of Heart Church. And if you've been tuning in, then you know that uh, we're located here in Escondido. And right now we have an on, we have a outdoor service starting at 9 a.m. And so at 10.30, I walk across the parking lot to do a sermon right here for you on Facebook Live. And so if you're tuning in right now, thank you so much for joining us. And if you're looking for a church here in Escondido, uh, we'd love to, to welcome you to join us at 9 a.m. Uh, 215 South Hickory Street in Escondido every Sunday. Uh, or you can just continue tuning in here because this is a message that I preached uh, just a few minutes ago, and I'll be doing it uh, every single week like this. So that way, those of you who don't feel comfortable coming out, or maybe you live in another uh, state or city and you want to tune in, I want to keep continuing to give you content. Maybe you're listening uh, for the first time, or maybe you're viewing this, you know, on Monday or Tuesday. And so again, we just want to say welcome to our church community. And we've been in a series in the book of John, and we did a mini-series for the last five weeks where uh, we kind of uh, um, did a, a mini series entitled, You're Too Powerful to Live Powerless. And it was this idea that uh, God has created us to walk in confidence and boldness and authority. And the enemy comes and he steals all of that away in different ways to, so that we can walk powerless. Um, and, and the narrative of the day and the world kind of feeds into that. And so we finished that last week, and now um, this week we're kind of diving back into John, which I love the book of John. John's summed up in uh, John chapter 20 is this simple idea that he wrote these things, John, he wrote these things about Jesus that we might um, see these signs and believe in his name, and in believing, we might find life. And so that's the idea, and we're going to dive into John chapter 6 which is a familiar passage story of one of the signs uh, and miracles that Jesus did. And so we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 6 in the book of John. And it says this, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is uh, about the size of Lake Tahoe. Uh, it's beautiful, and it is a massive lake. And so it says, Jesus went to the other side, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. That's important. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that all these people may eat? And if you're familiar with the story, the story continues where, you know, the disciples kind of go back and forth and Jesus ultimately gets five loaves and two fish he, and, and begins to distribute through the disciples, begins to distribute all this food and multiplies the five loaves and two fish to feed, some would say 20,000 people because it was 5,000 men plus family. And so it was an incredible miracle. And I've read that often and I've taught from it. And it's easy to, to, to see it as just for what it was, an incredible miracle. But in John's gospel, the things that John included in his gospel was for a specific reason, not just to tell us about Jesus and, and the, the, the things that he did, but also to point to a greater narrative. And so I want to get to that and kind of take a different angle of this story. Before I do, I'd like to pray over the word. Father God, I thank you for the privilege that we have to spend a few moments together. God, I thank you for your word and the way that it speaks to us like nothing else does. And so I ask in the next few moments, right there in the living room or the car or wherever 
uh, they're viewing Jesus, that you'd be present and that we'd hear you. God, that we'd catch another glimpse of you and we'd be transformed. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I love a good story. Uh, if you know me, I, I, I like telling stories and, and, and I'm well aware of the fact that uh, I'm not the only one with cool stories. I just happen to have the microphone. But if, if I gave the microphone to you or your friends, uh, then you'd have stories to tell too. And, you know, uh, we, we often play that game. If you really knew me, then you would know and uh, kind of go around and tell like, you know, things that you wouldn't ordinarily know about somebody. Maybe it was the epic adventure that you had or something that happened to you or just a quirk about your life. But, um, but I love to tell a good story. And what I was thinking about during this study is that there is a big story unfolding right now in our world. And it doesn't take uh, very much to recognize what that big story is. It's playing on every news channel and uh, a lot of different circles, conversations, different angles. Everyone has a different take, a different narrative. These are interesting and polarizing times in our world. And you know that, I know that. And it's very easy to feel lost in all of that, not only because it's so polarizing, but because oftentimes we can feel very insignificant in the story of the day. I mean, I don't know about you, but I often feel like, man, though I have a massive deep value for my our right to vote, I often feel like it's, it's a pebble in a giant sea. What good can I possibly do? And, and the big problems and the, and the challenges and the, and the polarizing diversity and all of those things that are going on um, in, in our world and feeling lost, feeling insignificant, feeling like I can't do anything about it. And if we're not careful, we can get stuck there and kind of go back to that powerless way of living. And so Jesus finds himself um, on this day, on a specific day, feeding these 5,000 people. And so he went up on this hill and it says specifically that it was the feast of Passover. And this was a big deal for the Jewish people. And Jesus knew that. And so he goes up on the hill recognizing what it was, recognizing the day it was, Jesus begins to do this miracle. And, and, and the reason for that is because <coughs> Jesus was telling a story. Jesus was the greatest storyteller of all time. And thank you, Caleb. Jesus was the greatest storyteller of all time. And his father was the greatest storyteller and is, still is of all time. And so Jesus was telling a story not because it was an actual story, but because what he was about to do was connecting to a bigger story. See, Jesus was about to feed people. And a little bit later on in that chapter, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so Jesus recognized on the, on the, the feast of Passover, he recognized what it's connected to. And you know this because you've probably done communion. Communion is connected to the last supper where the disciples sat around the table with Jesus and Jesus said, do this, what? Eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of me, connected to the cross, connected to what Jesus did, um, broken his broken body and his shed blood for you and me. But he was connecting Passover to something else, wasn't he? And that was um, what, was, what took place when, when uh, Moses was delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt. So Moses went, to Israel. I'm going somewhere with this. So Moses went to Egypt 
And the last sign, the last plague was the, um, the death angel. And so God said to the Jewish people, listen, I'm going to send a death angel. And I'm going to kill the firstborn of every household. But if you take a spotless lamb, see the symbolism, the spotless lamb, and shed its blood, take its blood and put it on the doorpost, then the death angel will pass over. And that represented Jesus, who is the spotless lamb, who would go to the cross and his blood would be covered for us. And so Jesus is sitting on this hillside and he's seeing all the symbolism. And he's like, here are all these people. And not only are they physically hungry, they're spiritually hungry. And so Jesus takes these fish and these loaves and he goes, oh my gosh, I have another opportunity. Like my father has been doing since the very beginning to connect something that takes place today with the overall story and narrative of the day. And that is, it is about me. I am the lamb who is broken. I am enough. I am the bread of life. And this is just this beautiful story of what was taking place. (coughs) But something else was taking place. So Jesus was with these people and they're not religious people. They don't know what's going on. They're just on some hillside, hungry. And, but Jesus, just a few verses earlier in chapter five, he was surrounded by religious people. These are the people that would honor the Sabbath, that would honor the uh, Passover, that would knew the Bible backward and front. And they were very, very religious people. And if you know anything about Heart Church or what we do here, this is not a religious church. In fact, it's the opposite. We call ourselves Jesus people. Like that's simply what we're doing. We're just trying to connect with our creator and through the person of Jesus Christ and follow him. Like that's what we're doing. And so Jesus meets with these religious people in verse five, I'm sorry, chapter five, verse 39. He says this, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. See, he's saying, listen, you know this book, backward and forward. Most of you have memorized it. And he says, and and in them, in the scriptures, you think you're going to find life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So Jesus is saying, listen, you're searching these scriptures thinking that you're going to find me, but this is simply a roadmap to connect to me and I'm here. And so Jesus, again, was connecting them to the overarching narrative. And I I think this is what the the bottom line of my message today. The title of my message today is The Greatest Story Ever Told. I think that God wants to remind us with this simple passage and this simple miracle, Jesus feeding people. And we can see it at Sifay's value and we can draw connections that, you know, Jesus is able to take our little bit and make it a lot. And all those are are appropriate and accurate analogies. But I think that there's something bigger that John was trying to say about who Jesus is and about what was going on. And it was about Jesus and the way that he constantly tried to connect people back to the big story, the greatest story ever told. And so he was telling the religious people, listen, there's a story here and that story has been going through all throughout the scriptures and you search the scriptures and you study the scriptures and you know the scriptures, but you, don't, you, but you miss the story. Like there's a story in the scriptures and you miss the story because the story is about me. So there's this big picture story going on. And this is what Jesus is pointing to as he feeds the 5,000. And I think that for you and me, if, 
if we don't recognize the big picture story, then we get lost in the narrative of the day. And it seems like a big story. The election and everything going on with, you know, racial equality and the stock market. and You know, the list goes on and on and on about all the polarizing things going on in our world. And those things are important and they matter and they affect a lot of people. And I don't want to downplay those things, but if we're not careful, we can get stuck feeling very insignificant and feeling powerless. And what I believe Jesus was doing then and doing now is saying there's a bigger story going on here and it's been going on from the beginning of time and I want to help connect you with that story, not just then, but what I'm still doing now in and through your life. And when you have that picture in view, then you see every other story through that lens and therefore you have a reason to have hope in the morning. It's the reason why I can smile and laugh and have joy the minute I wake up, regardless of what's happening on CNN or Fox News or social media, because I know that whatever story I'm looking at, I'm seeing it through the lens of a bigger story that supersedes all things that God is doing and has been doing from the beginning of time. And this is the gospel. So I just want to take a second and geek out on you for a minute. Cause like, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see the story, the story going on all around us. And it's a story that's been playing on repeat again and again and again. And it's a story of redemption. It's a story of hope. It's a story of his goodness. It's a story of love. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of making broken things beautiful again. And, and I hope that you're like me and you can recognize that that's taking place still today. It's taking place in our life. And I can look back and, and though I still have broken things in my life now, I can look back on areas that were broken and they've been redeemed or they've been restored. And I can see the fingerprint of God on my life and your life. And that is the big story. And it's been happening. And so I want to start out the first animal sacrifice in Genesis when, when Adam and Eve sinned. And there was a separation because of sin between Adam and Eve and God. And God stepped in and said, no, I don't want you to eat from the tree of eternal life because then you'll be forever separated. So he removed them out of the garden. And then it says, Performed, God performed the first animal sacrifice and clothed them, symbolizing Jesus as the sacrifice that clothes us in righteousness. The story began. Jonah, we see in Jonah, the shadow of Jesus. He was rejected by his shipmates and thrown overboard. He was in the belly of the whale for three days. Hello. And then he went and delivered his people. Um, the Passover lamb on the doorpost. We already talked about that amazing symbolism. Tents in the wilderness shaped in the cross. Listen, when Moses delivered the people of Israel into the promised land and we all into the desert, and we all know they wandered the desert for 40 years and they followed the cloud and the fire, the pillar of fire, and they wandered around and then they set up tents. Now, there's like a million people. So however many tents it, it, it takes to house a million people, they would set up camp when the pillar stopped. And God said, hey, camp here. So they would camp and they would do it in specific instructions based on the book of Leviticus, where he would say, this is where I want you to camp. Well, if you had an aerial view of the tents that were laid out in the middle of nowhere, it was in the shape of a cross. Literally, no joke, with the tabernacle in the middle, the shape of a cross was these tents. They had no idea. They just saw their friend over there and my cousins over there and they just, they're just living life. Much like you and me, we're just living our life, but there's a story that's weaving all throughout 
from the beginning. And it is a story of good news, of redemption. The burning bush, when Moses came to the burning bush, remember, and he's like, oh my gosh, what in the world? And he took off his sandals and then the voice began to speak. Well, that's a symbolism because oftentimes God's people are referred to as plants or trees. Remember in Psalm 1 that you're like a, a tree planted by the rivers of water? And the burning furnace is referred to as man's suffering. Um, and then Jesus, I am, comes down in the midst of his people, just like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That fourth person, Jesus, like the son of man, in the midst of the suffering with his people, all symbolizing what Jesus would do as Emmanuel coming down in the midst of his people to suffer and be with us as I am. And then lastly, Moses is the deliverer. I love this one because, again, it's just the story that, these people had no idea about when they were in the middle of it, but it's been weaving all throughout. Moses um, was almost killed as a baby, baby, as was Jesus. The first two signs, power over the serpent and the power over leprosy. Both Moses and Jesus had 12 and 70. Moses sent 12 spies and Jesus had 12 disciples. Moses uh, uh, gathered his 70 elders and empowered them. Jesus empowered 70 and sent them out. And then they were both transfigured on, on a mountain. Uh, Jesus with the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses on Mount Sinai, transformed by the glory of God. And then lastly, both, death, both of them, uh, their death was necessary for God's people to enter the promised land. I mean, we can stop right there just to see the way that God used stories, people's lives to weave this beautiful narrative all throughout from the beginning of time. And the narrative is there's a big story going on. Don't miss it. Don't get lost in the lowercase s story of the day because there's something much bigger going on and you and I are a part of it. And it's not just like a story that we read about in a history book. It's a story that's going on still today with you and with me. And it's a story of hope. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of goodness. It's a story like no other story. I want to read a scripture to you out of Ephesians. And it is profound because it connects us with what God's plan was from the beginning. God's not a reactive God. He's not taken back by, oh my gosh, so-and-so got elected or, you know, this is going on over here, this, the stock market. God's not taken back by any of that. He has a story that's been from the beginning and he thought about you and me in the middle of that story. And so Ephesians chapter one, uh, four through 10, this is the passion translation says this, God chose us to be his very own joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Oh, I love that. I'm gonna read it again. God chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. That's a long time ago. But God began this story, inviting you and me into it. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children. Through our union with Jesus, since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasure of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins. And through the revelation of Christ, he unveiled the hidden mysteries of his long-range plan. That's a really long-range plan. 
I mean, that's not like five or ten years goals. That's from the beginning of the foundation of the earth, which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages when God makes all things new in heaven and on earth through Jesus Christ. So however insignificant you may feel, however lost you may feel, however stuck you may feel, you have to understand that when we give our lives to Christ, when we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to the story of all stories. And the story is about him. And he invites you into it. See, this is, I think, where we get lost in the westernized world where we see life like a movie camera that just follows us around. We think it's about us, but the story is about him and he invites us into that story and he includes our lives and our dilemma and our pain and our frustrations and he weaves it all throughout this beautiful story of redemption and of goodness and of hope. And I'm here to tell you that he is inviting you into that story. And this story, because it's not religion, it's not connected to your goodness. It's connected to your availability. It's connected to your yes. You're saying yes to Jesus. Yes to his invitation. Yes for him to take over. And when you say yes to him, then he gets to take all of the story and weave it into yours. And it's not dependent on you checking religious boxes and being perfect and, and, and making sure that your life is, is you know, in, in perfect alignment with all the religious standards. That's not the story. That was a shadow that led us to the story Jesus. And so I want to land the plane on, on one more story. And, and, and you see the theme here. This is, this, is a, this is a sermon about stories. Why? Because you have a story. I have a story. And I don't know what your story is, but I think if you took some time and, and you looked back on, on your story, there'd probably be some pain. There'd probably be some regret. There'd probably be some uncertainty, but I'll bet you that there would be moments where you would go, oh, wow, I forgot about that. How, how God met me in that place. And, and I forgot how I didn't get what I deserved over here. And somehow that worked out. And, and I forgot how, how this over here happened. And man, um, wow, when I, when I put it together, when I'm able to step back, there's there's a, at least a, a glimpse of something, something beautiful taking place. And I love the definition of a mosaic because it's broken and fag- fragmented pieces brought together to form something beautiful, especially when light shines through it. And I think that if we're honest, us as Christians, that, that's a great representation of what we're about. That, that he, God, takes, takes our brokenness And when we give it to him, he begins to put it together, not to form one piece, but as a part of the piece, the mosaic started from the foundation of the world, weaved all throughout scripture. And he's forming a beautiful mosaic. And the story is Jesus. He is good. He is enough. He is the bread. He is the manna that fell from the desert. I am enough. And when Jesus was on that hillside and he was sharing with the people bread, he was connecting them to the story. There's a story here. And I'm inviting you into that. I am the bread of life. I was the manna in the desert. I was enough then. I am enough now. 
five loaves and two fish. It's enough. I am enough. And so we look at, at one more story in the Bible and it's a man who is in his darkest time. And I like this story because I think it relates. Oftentimes when we go through a really difficult time, a dark time, we can't see anything else because we're in the middle of it, almost like a dark tunnel. But what we, what we have to realize is that there is a story. And this is where our trust has to come in to Jesus. God, I know that you're doing something. Even when it feels dark, I feel alone. I can't really see what you're doing. He is doing something because there is a story. And you have been invited into that story. And so we see it in this man called Abraham. And if you've grown up in church, then maybe you were taught this in Sunday school. But Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son named Isaac. And if you can imagine not only sacrificing a son, but sacrificing your only son, whom you've been believing and praying for for a hundred years. See, Abraham and, and, and Sarah were right around hundred years old when Isaac was born, which sounds ridiculous because it was ridiculous. In fact, um, Sarah, his wife, actually laughed at the angel when the angel came and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, well, whatever. I'm not going to have a baby. I'm a hundred years old. But in fact, she did have a baby and his name was Isaac and he was the promised child. In fact, he was going to be the seed for all the nations to be blessed. And God showed up to Abraham one day and said, I want you to go up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And in the moment, I don't think Abraham was seeing the connection, this epic connection to a big story. I think he was feeling like this is a crisis. This is a, a test. This is a, this moment in time where I don't know what's going to happen. At the end of the day, I'm probably going to have to kill my only son and live with the pain of that moment. And here we are all of these years later, 3,500 years later, talking about this story and as it connects to the greater story. So I want to unpack it and see its beauty. These are things that Abraham wouldn't have been able to see in the moment. It says, um, uh, I wrote this, Isaac was about 33. And I know that we think of Isaac as this little boy, but he was about 33 when this whole thing happened. And that's the same age of Jesus. The next one is, um, love was mentioned for the first time connected to or referring to a father giving up his only son whom he loves in Genesis chapter 22. So John, you know, John 3, 16, we quote all the time, for God so loved the world. Well, that love was literally like brought into the scene for the first time when Abraham was invited to give up his son, the hill of Moriah, where God said, go to the hill of Moriah and sacrifice your son. Well, the geography behind that is very interesting. Not only is the hill of Moriah 777 feet above seawater, which is just kind of epic because 777, but it's also about a quarter mile away from the Temple Mount and just so happens to be the exact spot of Golgotha. Um, which is the place that the place of skulls where Jesus was crucified. And so it's literally the same mountain all those years later. And so here is uh, Abraham feeling like he is at the lowest of the low moment. And he is walking to the same hill that Jesus would one day be crucified. This was a three-day process, which is interesting because on the third day, Abraham got his son back because God said, no, 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 you've, you've, you've passed this test. You don't have to sacrifice your son. And so Abraham got his son back on the third day. And we know that Jesus rose from the dead and God got his son back on the third day. 
Isaac asked, where is the lamb on his way up? Because he didn't know he was being sacrificed. He didn't know he was the lamb. And so uh, Isaac asked Abraham, where is the lamb? And Abraham replied, God will provide for himself the lamb. But a ram was caught in the thicket. Not, not a lamb, a ram. And there's a difference because it was just a shadow. But John the Baptist came on the scene in John 1 and says, Behold, the lamb pointing to Jesus who takes away the sin of the world. So in Genesis chapter 2, landing the plane, Abraham, he said, this place, this, this hill, it seems like incidental. It's just a random hill that, Jesus, that, that God chose for me to walk up and sacrifice my only son. And he's going to this hill. And at the, when it was all said and done, and it was all uh, taken care of, and, and, and Abraham's coming back home with his son and seeing the goodness of God, he pointed back to that hill and he said, oh yeah, this hill, this is going to be called, the Lord will provide it. And so for the next 1,500 years, the Jewish people who look to Abraham as like their father in the faith, and they know this story backwards and forwards, and those people that lived in Jerusalem, they point to that hill. And they say, that's the hill where the Lord will provide it. Looking for a future provision, a future lamb that will be provided for them all the while, not knowing the greater story that's being told. They were pointing to Golgotha where God would provide the sinless lamb who would take away the sins of the world. This is the greater story. And if you don't hear anything else, please hear that Abraham in the lowest moment of his life, God was writing a narrative that would be a megaphone for the entire world that would say Jesus is the reason. He is the answer. He is the bread of life. He is enough. He is goodness. He is mercy. He is forgiveness. And he is inviting you. And he's inviting me into that story. See, I think this is the difference between religion and what we call this, Christianity. See, religion is Christianity void of the good news. Religion is just, hey man, I need you to do right. I need you to act properly. I need you to love God with all your heart. I need you to be holy. I need you to do all these things. But just missing one little piece, it tells the story of the cross, but it misses the good news of redemption of the cross. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, the story is the cross. I've been telling it from the foundation of the world. Your story is connected to the cross. It's redemption. It's goodness. It's forgiveness. It's mercy. And so today, as we get to face the things that are going on in our life, May we see the lowercase stories of our life and of the day through the lens of the big story. Jesus, he is still working. He is not done. He didn't just write a book and say, hey, I hope you believe in it. He is on the move today in your life and in my life, still redeeming things for his glory, pointing to his goodness so that all the world might see Who's looking in on your life? And maybe they see the struggle and they see the pain and maybe they have empathy for that. And they're watching how you respond. And, and then when you walk through something, your neighbors and your family members, they're not saying it, but they're watching and, and they're, seeing, they're seeing a story. And they're seeing how it connects to the big story. Probably before you do, they see it. And it becomes this megaphone 
for the gospel. And that's what our lives get to be. We get to be the conduit for the story. May your life and my life be a conduit for the greatest story ever told. Father God, I thank you for these moments and for the story that we get to be a part of. And and I ask that you would make yourself real and known to every person watching today, that they would be filled with your goodness and your hope. I pray that you'd give them eyes to see like they've never seen their circumstances in their life through the lens of your story. And it would give them great hope in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.